0: hey everyone this is chad harms the pastor of creekside bible church thank you for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon a sermon about stories containing people's first impressions of jesus before it plays i want to make you aware of something that is happening in our church right now like for many churches covid and everything connected to it was really hard as i've mentioned before Due to not being allowed to use the school we normally meet in, we had to do church from eight locations in 13 months. On top of that, about a third of our congregation moved out of the state. Despite the challenges though, God has continued to move in our church. We are growing, people are getting baptized, and we're even finding new ways to serve our community. In fact, we're working this year with another organization to provide children who have been victims of human trafficking a good Christmas. Here's the reality. Despite the good taking place in our congregation, the challenges of the last year have made money really tight. Right now, we are doing a fundraiser to make up for the deficit that we planned for in our budget. Thankfully, someone has graciously offered to match the first $5,000 donated. That means for every dollar donated, $2 will come to our church. So here's my big ask. If you are in a position to make a donation it would be incredibly helpful to our church and the future of our ministry i know that not everyone can do this and i really don't want you to feel guilty if you can't but if you can make a donation a donation of any size we would appreciate it so much if this is true for you you can go to creekside.me donate make sure to select the matching fundraiser when you choose where to give Every single dollar will help us to continue to move forward as a church that helps people experience and express God's glory. One more time, the website is creekside.me slash donate. Again, thanks for listening. I really do hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Today I want to uh, continue to look through the book of John, and we're going to turn our attention to John chapter 4 today. And uh, we we are looking at these stories right now in the book of John, where people have uh, these first encounters. They, they you know, for uh, our purposes, it's their first impression of Jesus, these people. And the goal of this series, for those of you that haven't been here, is, is to really try to see Jesus in the way that we would have seen seen him first had we met him while he walked the earth. And that's hard to do. We all know that, I think, because... Because we, you know, if you grew up in the church, then you've heard a lot of things about Jesus. And hopefully, you know, most of them are right. But but sometimes I think we get a tainted view of Jesus, an unbiblical view of Jesus. And and I think even the world that looks at churches, kind of, they picture Jesus incorrectly because of sometimes the way churches act and not necessarily what churches say. And, And the goal of this series is to just get back to the Bible and look at these stories where people are encountering Jesus for the first time. And and we're really asking the question, like, what did their first impression of Jesus teach them? What did it leave them with? And man, today we have, I think, just such an important story. And it's a story with deep theological significance and also just the story that even on the surface level, I think is so beautiful. And and here's what what I want to show you in it today. This is what I hope you'll really grasp. And that is that Jesus is really intently focused on the state of your soul. And this this is non-American. This is not the modern day of thinking, right? Like we are going to connect uh, if we pay attention at all to this story, to the to the woman in this story, who's intently focused on Everything that isn't her soul. In fact, she doesn't want to talk about her soul. She talks about everything else besides her soul. But Jesus is just so focused on on what's happening inside, what's what's really taking place in her soul, in the places that nobody else can see. And here's how we'll we'll start the story. John four four. You can read the first three verses of John if you want, but but here's here's John four four. Now he had to go through Samaria. This is Jesus and. Every time I read this story, uh, I'm struck by this word had. And uh, this is not unique to me at all. But uh, I think it's important to point out that that Jewish people didn't go through Samaria. And if you didn't know that, then it's important to tell you the reasons why. And it's racism. I mean, that's that's really the answer. There's no better way to say it. Uh, The Jews looked at the Samaritans as as a half breed uh, and they didn't like them because of it. It goes all the way back to the time where the Jewish people were enslaved under the leadership of the Assyrian people. And after they were allowed to go back to their homeland, Most of them went, but some stayed behind. They married Assyrians, and generation after generation came, and those people became the Samaritans. And the Jewish people despised them for being sellouts to their race and to their nation, for intermarrying, to being sellouts to really what God had told them to not do, to marry with foreign. Uh, people. And so they didn't like him at all. And so they actually would just go around Samaria. That's the normal trek that they took. They went out of their way. And so when you see this, whether it's intended or not, that Jesus had to go through Samaria, it's hard not to say like, well, what did he have to do that for? And it would seem like, right, if you're going to fill in the blank, and, and you've never heard this story before, you'd be like, man, there must have been like some major conference or like, I mean, there there had to be some, you know, grand event that he needed to be at. He needed to speak to thousands. But what we'll see in a second is that the only explanation seems to be that he wanted to encounter this woman. He wanted to talk to this woman about her soul. That's really a big idea, right? That that Jesus would break all of these normal traditions and customs that he would have to go through Samaria. Not because of the masses, but because of the state of one woman's soul. John 4, 6 says, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by a well. It was about noon. About noon is is the key phrase here in this verse because this is the time when nobody would go to the well. People in hot Samaria would either go in the morning before the sun was up or in the evening after the sun had gone down. And so John is setting a scene for us at a time of day when nobody, except for one person, as we'll find out in a minute, nobody was going to go out and draw water in the heat of the day when the sun is just blaring down. Nobody's going to come out. And this is the moment when Jesus finds himself at this well. And then we read in verses 7 and 8, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So it's logical to conclude that this Samaritan woman is out there getting water at noon because she doesn't want to talk to anybody. She doesn't want to see anybody. She doesn't want to talk to anybody. And we'll find out later it's because she's not living a good life. She's probably shunned in her community. And so she's out there trying to avoid people altogether. And now she's going to have an encounter with, as John has already told us, the word of God, the creator of all that has been created, the Messiah, the son of God. And so she comes out to draw water, looking to avoid people. And this unthinkable thing happens. He asks her for a drink. Now this is unthinkable because he's Jewish and he's male. And so by the standards of the time, there is no way because of his gender and his nationality, his race, that he is going to ask her for a drink. But he does. And I just want to pause here and, and say that last week I read this verse to you that you probably had heard before I read it, John 3, 16. But I think I think that the story may land here in the book of John because because... John is trying to show us the truth of what he has already declared. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave us one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And it's so easy to make that a generic, general idea, right? Like God loves the world. He loves everybody. But it is harder sometimes to look at the individuals that we deem unlovable, unlikable, unforgivable, and to think well, Jesus came to die for them too. And here for a you know, first century Jewish reader of the gospel of John, like, I mean, he couldn't have picked like a worst subject here. This woman who is living a terrible life and she's a Samaritan. Like if anybody can't fall within the category of God loving the world, then maybe we found her. And I believe that the author of John places this here maybe to say, hey, I told you that Jesus came to die for the world, for every person. And he would save whoever would believe in him. And now I want to show you that that really means everybody. That really means the world. And so he requests this cup of water. And then she does the most normal thing. She says, Hey, you're a Jewish guy. Like, what are, what, are you, what are you asking me for water for? That's weird. And then we pick up the story with Jesus' words in verses 10 through 12. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? I think where this story starts is is really important. Jesus moves the conversation immediately into the spiritual realm, right? He moves it from a a conversation about water, the topic being this well that's in front of them, and he immediately moves it into this spiritual thing. Jesus is concerned about this woman's, soul. And I think he even asked for the water because he's concerned with this woman's soul. The, the disciples had gone to get food. They're going to be back with water and a sandwich in no time. But, but Jesus wants this woman to know that he cares about her soul. I love the term living water and I don't want to dwell on it too much right now because we'll come back to this idea uh, in several chapters in the book of John, because Jesus calls himself the living water. But for now, I just want to say that it sounds deeply spiritual, right? Like, maybe you know what Jesus is referring to when he says living water. Maybe you don't. But but it's clear that Jesus is no longer talking about the stuff that is down in the well, right? Like he has moved this conversation to satisfaction within your soul and not just within your mouth and in your body. He wants to talk to her about something spiritual. And notice notice how she responds. He's like, hey, you should want spiritual satisfaction for me. You should want satisfaction for your soul. And then she's like, you don't have a bucket to draw water with. Like that's her response. There's going to be this back and forth here as we move through this story where Jesus is focused on her soul and she's focused on on her body and his body and, you know, what she can see and talk about and touch. And 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 Jesus just, he's not willing to go there. He's not willing to play that game. He wants satisfaction for her soul. And she is so focused on on what she can, you know, Touch right in front of her. You don't have a bucket to draw water with. It's totally unspiritual. And I think this is a key point for today. I think it's so important. I think it's so important because her first impression of Jesus is driven by by the soul (laughs) and what he can do for her soul. And yet there's so many people who, who don't want to embrace Jesus who maybe are mad at Jesus, maybe this is you, because he hasn't done something for your body, or for your circumstances in this life, and we can be like this woman, and and we can, you know, know all of the spiritual stuff about Jesus, or, or maybe hear some of it for the first time, and we can be like, yeah, that sounds great, Jesus, but I want a better job, And it it feels foolish when we read it in an encounter that happened in the first century with this woman standing at the well. It feels foolish on her part, but we can be so much like her. Like, oh, Jesus, and we'll see this even more in a minute. But, oh, Jesus, you want to bring satisfaction to the deepest places inside of me that cannot be affected by the circumstances around me. But I want to talk about the bucket. You know, like, hey, you can't. Fix my job. Maybe if you fix my job, my soul would be better. But Jesus, is like, I want to satisfy your soul. I want to satisfy your soul. Listen to this verses 13 to 15. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will never be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them, Sorry, everyone who does drink this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You see that back and forth there? I mean, Jesus comes back to spiritual satisfaction. I can satisfy your soul. I can bring you joy and peace and hope and love and forgiveness that 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 cannot be touched by the things around you. I can offer you something even notice he says eternal life here. Like I can offer you something that will last for that will be good forever and ever and ever. It's clearly not a physical thing. Jesus is Talking about, and by the way, I'd point out that eternal life came up last week. We've we've now read it a couple of times. Eternal life in the Gospel of John is something that begins now. It's the abundant life that Jesus offers. It's a life that is new and, and and can be defined by peace and hope and love and joy and all the things I just said. It's a brand new start in God through the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. But it isn't something that just happens in eternity. It's something that we can take hold of now. And Jesus, is like, I can give you this now. I can satisfy the deepest thirst of your soul and offer you an eternal life. A term that she can't even grasp in this moment, but it sure sounds good, right? Even if you have no background, no theology, like that sounds good. And then she's like, sweet. I don't want to have to come back to this well every day. Like this just makes me, I'm like, ah. Like like do you hear do you hear what he is saying to you this clearly isn't about getting a cup of water It's frustrating when you read it 2000 years later but then again as i said before i think i'm so like this in my life i think we're just so much like this. Like, I think this is the conversation we would have with Jesus. I think it is the conversation we have with Jesus. Sometimes when we pray, Jesus invites us to an eternal life that is satisfying, that is filled with peace, hope, joy, love, and ultimately glory in the perfection of heaven. And then a return to earth where we will live with all of the good and none of the bad that exists here. Like we will just do amazing things for the rest of eternity, fun things, and never have to cry or mourn or hurt or suffer some of the things that we prayed about earlier. And we're like, hey, can you make my car repair cheaper? I had to fix my car last week. <laughs> I was just feeling that one in my soul. Um, like, isn't that, isn't that what we've become as American Christians, we become like this woman first encountering Jesus. And when we read it as a first impression, it's frustrating to us, but then we live it out all the time. Like Jesus offers these, (laughs) these grand eternal things. And all we ever want to talk to him about is fixing the little difficult situations in our life. Even, I mean, think about Christmas, right? Like, think about how we how we go about celebrating Christmas. Like, we're excited about a lot of it, right? But think about the things we're excited about. We're excited about the good food and the lights and the presents and uh, and seeing family. But then it's almost like sometimes it's really hard for us to celebrate Christmas because there's things in our life that just bother us. Like we have to go to the well. It's like, well, I got to see Aunt Susie this year and she's going to tell me how great or bad Trump is, you know, like, and, and I don't want to deal with that. And, uh, and and you know, Bob was la- mad at me last Christmas and we're going to have to be together this Christmas. And I, I hate that idea. And uh, and, and you can go down the list, like I don't have the money to spend on the presents that I'd like to spend on the presents. And, uh, and I, I have all these other stresses because we want to get all the stuff in. And, and so I'm just, I find myself being stressed and, 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 and it's almost, it's almost no time at all that we spend going, wow, the uncreated creator. <laughs> Stepped out of heaven. He was born of a virgin. There was actually no room for him in the local hotel. It's overstating how nice it would have been. So they had to put him in a cave, basically, and laid him in a lay him in a feeding trough. Also that somewhere deep in my soul, I could find a satisfaction. Like I could experience love. I could enter into the family of God. I could be called a child of God. I could have a brand new life not outside, but inside. I can be forgiven for all of that stuff that I've done, that I regret, that I don't tell anybody about. I can experience love in a brand new way, in a way that I've never experienced it before. And as an extension of that, I can offer love to people in a way that I've never been able to offer it before. All the things that God offers us in coming to earth in the person of Jesus, we can extend it to others. We now can forgive Aunt Susie, or whatever I called her a minute ago, and Uncle Bob. We can forgive them, and and we can be at peace even if They're jerks with us and we can reconcile to them despite the fact that they don't deserve it. And we're like, we're so caught up in just having to go to the well. Like this is all kind of annoying that we forget what an incredible gift it is that God would come from heaven to earth to satisfy us in places that nobody can see. I think partly we don't feel the satisfaction in our souls. Maybe most specifically during the holidays, because we want the satisfaction outside of our souls more than we want the satisfaction inside. We want everything in our circumstances to be right and good and happy and all of that. But maybe we would feel better about it all if we just said, I I have unspeakable joy that overwhelms my soul and never lets me go. Maybe then we would find the satisfaction that we so desperately long for Maybe then we'd find it. And so Jesus now, like he, you know, I feel like he's with me. Like, ah, what are you doing? Like, what, did you hear me? And so he he moves it to a place that she just, she can't keep on with this charade that seems to be taking place. He he told her in verse 16, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. But the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have is not your husband. Now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus turns this conversation to a place that just, she just can't ignore, right? Like now this guy is standing there telling her you know, the the most embarrassing for her sins in her life. The thing, uh, the things that are causing her to come and draw water at noon, he's now laid right out Before her, she has to feel incredibly uncomfortable here, right? Like, again, let's put ourselves in her shoes here. I mean, we can read this and go, man, it's Jesus, of course. But I mean, you meet a guy at a well, (laughs) like, and all of a sudden he's like, you have five husbands and you're living with the guy. Like, he's laying it out there for you. This is incredibly uncomfortable. And I think she does what so many Christians do. Frankly, so many people who leave Christianity do, have done when they when they are confronted with their sins, they just make it an intellectual issue. There's actually this defense mechanism called intellectualization, it's the removal of emotions by making an intellectual argument, basically. Uh, It's a defense mechanism that I think is super common in the church, like just be a part of a small group and nobody wants to talk about their soul. They want to talk about ideas surrounding Christianity because talking about our soul is really uncomfortable, but talking about theological nuances just makes you sound smart. And here's exactly what's happening in this moment. Jesus has just laid it all out there. I, I, I think she says like the smartest thing she can think of, like the most argumentative thing she can think of. She's like, okay, what do we do? Where do we go from here? And like, oh, and they're looking at this mountain, by the way, where the Samaritans worship God. And she's like, we think you should worship here. You think that you should worship there. One of us gotta be right. One of us gotta be wrong. Someday we'll find out. She complete, like, and this is an epidemic in the American church. She still does not want to focus on the matters of the soul. She wants to talk about things that can be thought about, that can be discussed and dissected and argued about. Now, as I say that, I want to be abundantly clear that theology is really important (laughs) And in fact, Jesus, uh, I'm not going to read it to you, but he's like, you're wrong, we're right. Like, that's what follows this. Like, he doesn't he doesn't just like say, I don't know, it doesn't matter. I want to talk about your soul because theology is really important. And bad theology ruins people's souls. And I would say good theology uh, grows us in our relationship with God. thats That's clear, I think, and important. But Jesus, after saying, you're wrong, we're right, He comes right back to the soul. He says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. That was John 4, 21 and 23, 24. You can read verse 22 later. I'm not hiding it or anything. Just made the story flow. But notice what happens here. Jesus takes her theological question, gives her a quick answer in and out of this, you know, intellectualization and then brings it to the topic of her soul, to the topic of our souls, to the topic of worship. He's focused on worship here. Uh, Worship is to crouch or to crawl or to fawn. That's, that's the Greek word that translates into worship. It's like used of a dog crouching at his owner's feet. I wish I had a dog like that. Uh, I don't, Um, uh, but, but like, that's how it's used. And the idea here is, is that it's a lowering of ourselves to lift up God. Now that's oftentimes bodily, like bowing down before God or, or prostrating yourself, laying on your face before God or, or raising your hands to God, right? Like as we were singing, give us clean hands. My hands were like this, right? Is like a, a demonstration of that. But, uh, but in the New Testament, it's about lowering our souls in order to lift up God. Jesus takes this theological question. He turns right back to worship. He says that, or to our souls. And he says, you must lower yourself in order to lift God up. He says it must be done in spirit and in truth to worship in spirit is to worship inside. Uh, this just happened to me. I was, uh, I was singing at one of our, our gatherings coming up. We're going to sing King of My Heart. And I was driving down the road singing it because it's in my head because I know we're we're doing that song uh, coming up and and but I was just singing it completely like just words coming out of my mouth right and then all of a sudden it was like a, it was almost like a light switch like it just clicked I was like I should just since I'm singing it already, I should, I should actually worship. And so I continue to sing. But in my soul, all of a sudden I was singing to God to raise God up as I was driving down in my car. It wasn't some dramatically spiritual moment. My emotions didn't change. I was having a pleasant time singing it anyway. It's just that the intent inside shifted. That's what it means to worship in spirit. That inside of us, we're actually lifting God up as we lower ourselves. We can do the exact same thing on the outside and one can be worship and one cannot be worship. We could go down a list. I mean, we could talk about singing. I could frankly talk about preaching. We talk about donating. We could talk about volunteering. I mean, anything that we do as a church, we can do that as actual worship in our spirit or we could just do it. And then we must worship in truth. It's a way to say that it is informed by scripture. It's in line with the character and nature of God. I would say that it is thoughtful. Like that we're actually thinking through what we are doing. Christmas is the, I think the worst as far as sometimes like how we sing along because these are songs that we sing at every Christmas party. And at least if you're my family and, and so you sing them in the church setting and there's a deep theology behind them and you have (laughs) not even thinking about it at all. You're just singing along because you've sang it a million times. That's not worshiping in spirit and truth. And so Jesus, again, Jesus brings this back to the soul and calls this woman to worship. He calls this woman to at least eventually worship. John 4, 25 and 26, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he, I am he it's really fascinating because uh there's only two times in the bible where the hebrew word messiah comes up if you don't know what messiah is it's it's in essence this this person that the jewish people looked forward to who was uh, going to be their prophet, their priest, and their king. He was going to set things right for the Israelites. And one of the reasons that the, this book is written, the book of John that we're studying our way through, is to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. But only two times that Hebrew word is used. Usually the Greek word Christ, which is is the, the way that the New Testament authors kind of translate Messiah into Greek, is used. But but it's one of two times. And, and I think as I was looking into this, this may be just interesting to you. Maybe you won't be interested at all, but I was interested. There's actually people who claim that Jesus himself never, never made the claim that he was the Messiah. That's actually an argument that's out there that I was unaware of. Now, the authors of the Bible claim Jesus as the Messiah frequently, consistently. And so I I don't know this, but this may be because there's like over a hundred uses of the word Christ. So I didn't I didn't fact check myself on this. But this may be the single at least it's the single clearest declaration by Jesus himself that he is the one who is gonna make things right for the Israelite people and as an extension for people everywhere. I think that's really important. But listen to what happens next with the with the woman. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah. They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Could this be the Messiah? She has two natural responses to her first impression of Jesus. She's found a man who's declaring, I can bring satisfaction to your soul. And I I think about the responses that are so all around us all the time. and, And it's, it feels evil because people so quickly go, I reject that. I hate that. I'm not going to look into that. But for this woman, she just asked the question, might this be real? And I would say, if you're not a Christian, then that, I will make the claim to you today. Because I believe Jesus made it a couple thousand years ago when he walked the earth. Jesus can bring satisfaction to your soul. And with that declaration in mind, I think it is foolish it is ridiculous to just reject it out of hand and never consider whether it might be true. This woman says, could it be? Could it be that the one who can set things right for me and for us has come upon the earth? And then she shares him with others. Those are such natural responses to Jesus. Such natural responses to Jesus. I just don't understand. And I keep saying this throughout this, this uh, series of sermons. I just don't understand how people, and I hope it's not you, but how people so quickly reject Jesus without ever exploring Jesus. Like There are these incredible declarations made about him, and this one here is being made by Jesus himself, but but then by John, who, who was his friend, his follower, he hung out with him, and he is making this declaration. This is the Messiah, the Son of God. We cannot just ignore that. We should not just ignore that. And then the disciples returned, John 4, 31, 32, and 34. This is what we read. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food that you know nothing about. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And I don't want to harp on this little section today. I've talked about it a lot in the past. But, but again, they're like, hey, you need to eat something. And he's like, what's he focused on? They're souls serving God. So he's talked about here, the satisfaction, he's talked about worship, and now he talks about service. It's all this, like what happens inside? Like you're hungry, eat. And he's like, eat, I mean, obviously he's going to eat eventually, right? But, but he takes it and says, hey, let me teach you a lesson. The more important thing here is that you serve God. The more important thing is that we serve God. Not that our external circumstances are perfect or easy or even good. And then the story concludes in John 4, 39 through 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. First, I love that... that Many believe simply because of her testimony. There is power in your story if you're a Christian. There is, I mean, her story, you know, I think a lot of people who kind of grew up in church being Christians, they think their story stinks. Like if I had a better story, this woman's story is terrible. Like, hey, I met a guy at the well and he told me everything about myself. Like, that's not a great testimony. Like, if I'm, you know, picking one, I want like a drug addict that went to prison and then Jesus turned around his life. Like, I'm looking for that story. She's like, Some guy told me everything and I think he might be the Messiah. And people believe in him and then they come to meet him and they become Christians too. They believe in him. They believe in him. Belief is such an important term. I think we all need to understand that belief in the Gospel of John is not mentally asserting, believing, understanding something to be true. It's trusting Jesus with your life and your eternity. They believe and they recognize him as the savior of the world. And and here's, I wanna pick up my bucket. I've used this illustration in the past. But but what I just want you to know and why I'm holding, the reason why I'm holding a bucket is because we are, are so frequently concerned with filling up the different buckets of our life. We believe that filling certain buckets will bring us the satisfaction that we long for. If I can fill my financial bucket, if I can get my finances right, I'll be satisfied. If I can figure out all the relational stuff in my life, if I get married to the right person or am I dating the right guy or whatever it might be, if, I, if, if you know, Aunt Susie and Uncle Bob, if we can work things out this Christmas, then I'll be satisfied. If I can just get the perfect job that I really like, then I will be satisfied. If I get a new house or a new car or a new thing, the new cell phone, whatever, then if I fill that bucket, if I have the latest and greatest technology and a big backyard and a white picket fence, then I'll be satisfied. But what do we all know? The famous people teach us this every day. (laughs) Like the ones that we long to be like in our external circumstances, they teach us this all the time. There is no satisfaction in filling the buckets. Only Jesus can bring satisfaction to your soul. And, And he's come to this earth in order to to be the savior, so that if you believe that he died for your sins and he came back to life, then you can place your faith in him and you can enter into a relationship with the God of the universe. And with that comes all of these things that bring actual true satisfaction. And I think again, sometimes we limit that satisfaction by, by trying to fill up the buckets of life. But today I would say to you, Don't look at Jesus and say, how come you haven't filled all my buckets? Because you're not going to be satisfied when he does. In fact, it might be bad for you, but instead look at the bucket and say, no matter what happens here, I'll never be satisfied, but I can find satisfaction in Jesus. I'm looking forward to meeting this woman in heaven. I think she did amazing things and testifying and all that. And I'm sure she became one of the great Jesus followers that the world has ever known. But in this story, I would say, just don't be like her. You know, don't be like, hey, Jesus, I know you can bring satisfaction to my soul, but I got this bucket over here that I really want you to fill up. It seems stupid, right? When we look at it through her lens, but in our lens, we need not be like her. If we learn anything from this first impression of Jesus, it's that he may not fill your bucket, but even if he does, you won't be satisfied. But he will satisfy your soul if you let him. So please let him. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that that you didn't just come to earth to, you know, this is what so many Jewish people at the time wanted, to just fill up, you know, these earthly buckets that that eventually, <laughs> even if even if we fill them to the brink, they just don't. They don't satisfy us. We always want a new, bigger bucket, Lord. But you came so that we might have life and have it to the full, as you say, to have it abundantly. Lord, you came so that we might have satisfaction in the places that nobody can see. And and what I love even more than that, nobody can alter God. People can affect our emotions, but they cannot affect the joy and hope and love and peace that you Offer us, Lord, if we're, if we are engaging you for the right reasons and and we're allowing you to fill us, if we're abiding in you, as you'll say later in the book of John. I pray, God, for those who aren't Christians. And I think some people aren't Christians because you haven't filled their bucket. And they're saying, I think that while they may not articulate this, they're like, if Jesus would just fill this bucket or if he had filled that bucket, then I would give my life to him and i pray right now god that you would break that down and you would open to know that it's not about the bucket it's about it's about their souls and you would speak to them like you did at this to this woman at the well and i pray god that like you had to go to samaria i pray that you would have to go to their hearts and you would communicate in a way that i could never god and you would speak even to their souls now and for those of us who are christians lord help us not to let the world dictate you know what we're trying to accomplish and all that but let us let us want nothing more than for you to fill up our our souls let us want that the most and and i believe you'll do it and i pray god that especially this christmas that that it wouldn't be about the the external things the circumstances the what we can get and what we can't and all that but it would be about you you impacting us deep down inside god And I pray that you would bring us a renewed satisfaction in our souls. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.